Hello you lovely lot, it's time for a new episode of the podcast series and this week it's with artist Hannah Shergold. It's not irregular that I kind of sit down and I think, am I bitten off more than I can chew? And the answer is actually usually yes. It's just that you kind of muddle through it somehow. You, I find that I would rather take a, a massive bite and work out how to chew it than take a nibble and regret that I, you know, that I wasn't fulfilled. Hannah is probably one of the most interesting people I have interviewed on this podcast series. She graduated from Cambridge University as a vet, she's become an accomplished sculptor, then she joined the army as a Lynx pilot and is now an accomplished artist who starred in Sky's Arts Portrait Artist of the Year and she's painted Prince Harry and David Beckham to name a few. This episode is a brilliant one if you are looking for the inspiration to change direction. But just before we start the interview with Hannah, I want to let you know all about the sponsors of this series, the Royal British Legion. The Royal British Legion can offer you financial support, whether it's helping you manage your debt, setting up a new home or business, or just checking you and your family are getting the benefits you're entitled to. They have got your back. Go and check out the information on their website where you can find even more support. And now onto the brilliant episode with the fascinating Hannah Shergold. Hello, Hannah. I am so excited to talk to you today. Um, I think you're probably one of my guests who has taken the most exciting and roundabout way to end up where you are, but it's very exciting and I'm really happy to talk to you about it. So to start off, before we get stuck in, could you give us a little introduction as to who you are and what you are doing now? I, yeah, I have a background in the military. I joined the regulars in 2009, um, straight into Sandhurst, and then commissioned into the Army Air Corps, flew helicopters um, for them for six years, uh, a little bit more in ground role, and then I left to paint pictures, and it's quite a random um, changing career path, but it now that's what I do full-time, and I raise quite significant sums of money for charity whilst I'm doing that so it's going well. It's going really well I've been researching this morning before this chat um, and I'm seriously impressed I think that um, so I, I've married somebody in the um, Air Force who was a pilot as well and we have this in our, in our marriage where he's very sort of you know scientific and he flies airplanes and I'm very creative an artist and to know that there's a person out there who embraces both of those and does them really really well if you look into your background um, is really impressive and also I'm slightly annoyed that I can't do it myself but you are currently mid-exhibition. I've been looking at it. It is beautiful. It is happening as we speak. It is for Prince William's conservation charity, Tusk. It's raising a load of money and it's fab. Um, how important is this charity to you? It's, I've always wanted to do something where you, you use the art to give back in some way. And um, I think my prior to my army career, I was also... I uh, had a slightly more um, sort of varied career through Cambridge Veterinary School, uh, where I did obviously a lot of anatomical training and, uh, you know, real passion for animals. Um, then into being a sculptor and again, sculpting animals. And I, I've always had that kind of background passion for wildlife and conservation. So Tusk really is, it's, in my view, it's the best at what it does. It is fantastic at raising the funds, but the more importantly, the projects that it picks it, to support them, it's very, it's very good at choosing ones that have a real impact in the communities that they serve. They're not just anti-poaching or you know rangers to prevent people from killing the animals they're actually really invested in the communities and the the human population that is going to help them do that um i think it's really important and the work that they do is really good and you can see it in the what well, your artwork is just wonderful and the like i said the exhibition is still going by the time this comes out so definitely everybody should go and look at it and it is raising some seriously important money for this charity um it's not the first time you've done something like this you were the resident artist for the uk team in the evictus games yes that's right 
yes that came about because I'd done a live paint for the World Wildlife Fund and it was um it's something it was experimental really we decided at their gala dinner at the Dorchester Hotel in London I was going to get dressed up in black tie paint a picture whilst everyone was eating and then they were going to put it into the charity auction at the end of the night and and it, and it raised um I think three or four thousand pounds and then Help for Heroes were as part of the UK Invictus Games team were about to also host their gala dinner for um, fundraising for the team for the 2018 um, Invictus Games in Sydney and they said that's a great idea can we have one as well so it was there were some logistic challenges with it and, and eventually decided that live painting it was not as good an idea but I basically donated three paintings for them and they were auctioned at the dinner and this time the the three together raised £30,000 and which was quite unexpected I suppose because they you know as an artist they I was quite fresh out of it I'd literally just left the army and but the response to the paintings was was amazing because I think the athletes in particular really felt that the paintings represented what they were trying to represent in the games it was it was not about the fact that they'd lost their legs or or arms or or that they had mental health issues it was it was what they'd done to get out of that it was the sort of celebration of movement really and and um and that I, was what I tried to put into the paintings it really resonated with them and so as a result they said um they basically wanted me to come out and do some more and um so I was invited out to Sydney and uh, accompanied the team out there for the games in October 2018 which was just awe-inspiring really it would be what was it like because I, I, I spotted your website that you had painted Prince Harry and there's a David Beckham one um loads of questions about that yeah um but I know that uh, for the few people that popped to Sheffield's last year and took part in it and also were there to support it it really was quite a profound thing for them and an important thing how did you find it in Sydney it was it was just amazing really because uh, you know what I hadn't really grasped before I went there was the mental health impacts I suppose and the the amputees it's a very it, and not to take anything away from the struggle that amputees have uh, in coming back from their injuries and resetting themselves for for life it's very visible and I hadn't really appreciated the benefit of the Invictus Games to those people that have less visible injuries and so but when you start you know working slightly more closely with the athletes and their families because obviously it's a massive support network for them too um you really sort of start to get an idea about how beneficial this whole organization really is and what it gives to them um and in order to help them give back something to each other and to society and, and back into their careers so i it was a real eye-opener and it was a pleasure really to be able to support it in that way um, whilst I was out there raised another 20,000. Um, so it was, it was over 50,000 pounds raised for the team in, in about four months. So I was, I was chuffed. You should be. It's such a, a comforting um, thing to do for, for, for a wife. I find it really comforting to know that, um, that if something awful happened to my husband there's this sort of support system that's still there this sort of you know community that would happen after the armed forces and I think it's a really important thing um and I I yeah I I think what you've done is really lovely and really important and also quite exciting to get to go to Sydney and to do all that stuff yeah it was my first time down under and um yeah so I mean I was really lucky to be able to to do it um but but felt like I was able to give something back by the the funds that were raised for it so yeah it was it was a real opportunity not to be missed oh it's fab so it sort of slides into a question that I was going to ask you around uh, creativity and art and how important it could be for the armed forces community um we are still well just at the end of lockdown um at the moment and I have gone back to my roots I'm actually an artist graphic designer 
Yeah. Mm. And I found more time and more space to be creative. And I was just wondering what your thoughts were around how important art and being free and being creative could be to the armed forces community. Well, I mean, I, I suppose I take it back to how I got into it. I, I mean, I've always done art. I've always liked doing art from school really, but I didn't train in it. And, you know, I was always intent that I was going to be a vet and I, you know, so my drive was towards science and I finished my art, any kind of art training at A level. But, um, the whole reason this business has come about is because I did art whilst I was deployed, sketching, doodling. You know, that was some people play PlayStation, some people read books, some people prefer exercise as their method of relaxation. I paint pictures. And so, but I wasn't painting, I was out in Kenya, I wasn't painting them for anybody other than me. And there's a massive freedom that comes with that because I, my historically, my artwork's always been very precise, very, very sort of correct as it were. Um, and I got a bit sort of bored with it, uh, that it was, there was no life and it was no energy. And, and so I made myself destroy pieces and, or not necessarily just destroy them as a matter of course, but, do something crazy and alternative with it for the benefit of experimentation. And so, and I found it hugely sort of rewarding in a way that you could just do art for the love of doing art rather than for the product that comes at the end of it. It's just that process of being able to say, oh, I wonder what happens if I do this. And I think we, we have a tendency to get very precious about what we produce. And we lose sight of the fact that it's not the product, it's the production. And the, the, it's the production of it that is the relaxing bit. Yes, you might end up with a nice picture at the end of it, but it's the actual process of creating it that is the relaxing bit and that is, I find, very rewarding. Um, so, yeah, it was. I made myself try new things. I made myself, you know, say, I wonder what happens if I finish this watercolour and then I throw a whole load of water over it what will it do to the paint you don't know you can guess but you don't know what's going to happen and and if it doesn't work the worst that's can that can happen is it goes in the bin and that's it that that is the worst that can happen I always try and say to people you know don't worry if it's not as you thought it was going to be no painting that I ever do now is as I thought it was going to be when I started it ever because I can't predict what is going to happen as you carry on. Um, and I, there's, a, there's a real, I think that's where the sort of energy comes from in the paintings is that it's, kind of like, it's very much kind of make it up as you go along. And I found that it, it produces much more rewarding pieces than if you were just to have a plan and stick with it the whole way through. Maybe that's life in general. I think that is a metaphor for life, actually. I was just like here thinking how um, scary and out of your comfort zone to, to, to get that creative, that destructive, maybe. Um, but how actually military life sort of prepares you for that because you can plan as much as you like. But at the end of the day, you'll probably get posted to Timbuktu tomorrow. So there's only... Absolutely, yeah. Or the whole nation is shut, or the, the whole world is shut down with COVID-19. I mean, you can't control everything. And the more energy we rate, we waste on trying to control the stuff which is out of our control, well, it's just utterly draining. So, you know, it's a real, there are some times where don't get me wrong, I'll be halfway through a painting and I think I wish there was an edit undo button on this picture because particularly as I time-lapse all of my pictures and so I can very easily scroll back through and think, oh God, it looked really, it looked much better half an hour ago. And, but you've just got to work with that. Whatever it throws up, you've just got to say, oh, well, we're here now. What are we going to do with that? And, and I've never been, when it's, yes, you go through phases where the painting doesn't look quite as good as what it did, you know, 10, 15 minutes ago, an hour ago, whatever. But I've never been disappointed when it's finished that I didn't go through that process. Which is definitely a metaphor for life. And I think... 
if anything has yeah. taught us that I think a bit of lockdown absolutely and if you'd said to if you'd said six months ago to most military parents by the way in three months time you're going to have lost your job your your other half will be working from home and you'll be home homeschooling the children you know they'd be like well I can't do that and I bet you speak to them now and you said well it was daunting yes but we did it and it, we found we just found a way to do it and I bet it wasn't the original plan it's probably not even plan b or plan c it's like plan z but but you know that it life I find is just one series of problem solving exercises and which can be it can be depending on your viewpoint can be an awful experience or it can be really exciting and I find the excitement in that and saying well this door got closed but these these three have opened up and it's a case of picking which one you want to go down and 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 then saying well how many problems am I going to encounter along the way but problems aren't a negative thing problems are just things that you have to solve and then carry on but do you ever get frightened doing that because looking at your background you started off at Cambridge University studying to be a vet and then training to be a lynx pilot um and now you're creating this fantastic artwork you are on sky tv painting all of these profound and amazing things to quite a high level whereas somebody like me or somebody in the military community um especially women we seem to put ourselves into limiting boxes and don't really push ourselves that far because it's a little bit uncomfortable plus we get terrible imposter syndrome so I was wondering have you ever encountered that imposter syndrome a hundred percent I came home from so I my relationship with Tusk started in November 2019 where I literally turned up to um well in fact I I pre-emailed um the the team at Tusk and said look I really want to partner with you for 2020 here are my credentials I'm not just you know I, I do I am actually capable of earning this kind of, of raising this kind of money and um there's no catch it's not suspicious and you know this I just want to do this and but then I turned up to a event an event that they were running in in um London and met the CEO Charlie Mayhew there and you know just so that he could put face to name and at the time when you're pitching you are and you are pitching to essentially a company um they may be a charity but they have considerations of their own brand and also of um you know financial impact and so when this come when they turn around and say oh great well can you show us the work that you're going to be selling you're like well, no, because I haven't painted it yet. And so I then went to another talk uh, by Levison Wood, who's, who's also ex-military, and he's just finished his Channel 4 series of Walking with Elephants. And I went to, I thought, I'll go to this event and, um, you know, I'll sort of get the lay of the land. It was a big event, lots of guests uh, in, a, in a big auditorium. And I came back on the train and I just um my my boyfriend was was at home he just got back from um he he is a commercial pilot i just got back he just got back from working away for a week and i slumped down in the corridor i didn't even take my shoes off i slumped down and i was like i don't think i can do this tusk is massive you know they've got all these significant supporters that you know they are this is just way bigger than me and I had a massive dose of, hum, it was almost humble pie. And I kind of thought, what must they think of me? They must think I'm some, you know, upstart idiot that just thinks that she can, you know, swan in here and, you know, use the brand. And 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 it really threw me for a couple of days. And then I thought, well, I'll just see what the what the fundraising and it wasn't a fundraising event, it, but they they were doing some fundraising at that event, and they raised a really um, a really great amount. I think it was something like twenty six thousand pounds. And I thought, well, my target for this year, this is pre COVID, uh, my target for this year for them is seventy five thousand pounds. That's my self imposed target, and it was a kind of right. Yes, it is big, but I can do it. 
if I just keep doing that that basic principle of problem solving my way day to day through it and things are going to be thrown up I don't know what they're going to be and so therefore I can't plan them and therefore it's out of my control and therefore don't put any energy into that because it's out of my control but as long as I keep finding solutions for the problems that are in front of me then then I'm just going to do what I can then came COVID (laughs) and what I had planned was pre-COVID was um, a two-week exhibition on Palmel opened by a 350 guest um, opener at the IOD, at the Institute of Directors on Palmel, high net worth guests, celebrity guests, charity auction, all catered. Uh, I mean, it was costing me a fortune. but it was sponsored by HSBC. It was getting so much traction in terms of the following for it. And, you know, I was holding back tickets to make sure that I, you know, had people there that if they wanted to bid, they could be there and bid. And and so it was it was going really well. And then COVID came along and it became clear very quickly that even if I could run the exhibition, there's no way I was going to be able to put 350 people in a room together um, safely. And so, so, you know, back to, is it ever daunting? That took me a month to, you know, whilst everyone else goes into lockdown and for a while I couldn't get any paint because everybody thinks, you know, I'm going to do some, get creative. And I didn't paint anything even though I still was finishing the collection, I didn't paint anything for four weeks because I had to completely mentally reset. I'm a targets person. My target had just been completely ripped out from under my feet. And I had to really think carefully about what the new plan was. Could I still afford to support Tusk? Um, and basically do an entire new military planning exercise on what was plan b and it took that took me a long time to kind of get back on my feet again and it mentally and say okay well this isn't what i planned but i'm going to make the most of it and i'm going to problem solve my way out of it um I waited a little while for the initial shock for everyone to just kind of die down and then thought, you know what, I'm going to release this collection in the summer anyway. And so that gave me an incentive. I, I put a date on it. I publicized the date that gives me, gave me the incentive to actually finish the collection. Um, and then as it happens since then, um, obviously, the government guidance has been that uh, non-essential businesses can open up from the 15th of June. So then um, La Galleria, who I'd originally planned to exhibit with, um, they approached me and said, look, we'll, we'll give you, a, you know, some financial incentive, i.e. a massive price reduction. If you come and open this show, we want you to come. It's a really good news story. Um, we know that you are the person that could plan it in basically two weeks. And so we want you to do it and we'll, we'll support you where we can. And so it's, it was one of those, okay, can I afford to do it? Mm, not quite sure. But actually that was a decision where it was, it, it actually came down to, will I regret not doing it? And the answer to that was a very definite yes. Will I regret it if I if I do it and I sell no no paintings? No, I I'll have lost some money, but but I won't regret not taking a chance. So really, some of these decisions come back to just a little bit of a gut feeling of I think this is the right thing to do. I can't guarantee it, but but I'm going to go for it, and at least I won't regret not having a go. And that's so. so important for a lot of us. I know in the military spouse world, that's what keeps us going, to not have the regret of not doing it um, and, and failing. Um, mm. Did you ever want to give up? Because you've had some real challenges. A Cambridge degree is tough. Flying training is very tough. 
And now COVID-19 has affected your next exhibition. So how do you keep going when it all gets a bit too tough? Um, I, I, can, I have to say, I don't think I've ever been the type of person that has felt that way. I tend towards, um, I will do everything in my power to make something work. And as long as I can always look back and say, I, that that's what I did, that I did everything possible, then I can have no regrets if it still doesn't work. So, you know, for example, that, you know, that it's not all smooth sailing. It's, it's been successful, but it's not, you know, there have been some things that have happened along the way where they've been horrendously disappointing. And, yeah, the reason people don't know about it is that I don't publish it on social media. But that's not to say that there haven't been times where, you know, you, you come back and you think, do you know what, I absolutely thrashed myself to, to get that, that, you know, to pitch that concept idea or to, um, or to be represented by this gallery. And, and, it's, and so because you put so much effort into it, if it then still doesn't work, you know, you have that kind of moment of, you know, am I not good enough then? If I put everything in and I still didn't get it, is it, you know, does that reflect on me as a person? Why didn't they want it? Why, you know, is it because of the art or is it because of me or did they just not like me? And you go through all those normal um, human questions of yourself. But does that mean that I have, but that, but that doesn't mean that I have ever thought I'm going to give up on it and I, I guess I'm kind of more that if I'm forced to change direction then I will but until I'm forced to then I'm going to do everything that I can to make the, the plan that I've chosen as, as you know the one that I think is the best I'm going to put everything towards making that happen yeah no I, I completely agree with you it's um imposter syndrome and that little voice in your head that's constantly talking to you yeah and it's and it, it is a, a sort of it's not irregular that I kind of sit down and I think, have I bitten off more than I can chew? And the answer is actually usually yes. Um, it's just that you kind of muddle through it somehow. You, I find that I would rather take a, a massive bite and work out how to chew it than take a nibble and regret that I, you know, that I wasn't fulfilled. And I, I suppose my I've got two sort of drivers in life, I suppose. One is that I I never want to feel like I've wasted time. I never want to look back on any year and think, I haven't really done anything this year. I haven't achieved anything. I haven't done anything different. And and so far, even in the last year or so of, of leaving the army, when I knew I wanted to leave and I wasn't my career you know, because I, because I voiced that I wanted to leave and I was deliberately running out my contract. My career in the army wasn't going anywhere. However, I spent every waking hour that I wasn't working for the army building up an art business so that it could hit the ground running. So, so that's, that, that feeling of time is quite a driver for me that I don't want to feel like I'm wasting it. And, and the other one may come across slightly morbid, but I want if I died, I would want loads and loads of people to want to come to my funeral because they're utterly intrigued. And that's a real driver for me. And it sounds really morbid, but, but the thought of people of going through life and impacting enough people in a positive way that they respect you enough that they would want to come to, your, to celebrate your life, that is a huge driver. And I, um, and it's it's something that I, I sort of have in the back of my mind that how will people think of me? What impression have I made? And trying to make sure that that's a positive one. So whether that if they don't know me that well, well, maybe it's just that they know that I've raised a lot of money for charity or and if they do that, I've done something positive for someone else or or for charity or um yeah, I think that's a real, I, I would rather have bucket loads of respect than bucket loads of money. It just happens that 
sometimes you you need to make a good living in order to facilitate your your goals to do good things and so I have fortunately found a way to make money out of doing something I love but as a result it can give something back to causes that I really you know value and and care a lot about and hopefully that can do good things in in turn yeah because we actually have a responsibility to make the world a better place and all the money in the world would be amazing but actually it's the difference that you can make to other people that i think is really important the more time i spend talking to um armed forces people the more Mm. i realize that's their joining force for joining the military at all it's not because you know flying planes is fun or sailing or soldiering is um, particularly good but it's because they can make a real difference to people and that's one of the ways they can do it and interestingly I think that's the point where I felt that I wasn't I didn't want to stay in the army because I just felt that I wasn't really I I wasn't able to give my full potential in the army and I felt that because of the, the structure which is not a bad thing it's not a criticism it's just that the army functions in a certain way and I, I just found it slightly stifling to those of us that like to think outside the box and say, you know, well, I, I know that we've done it like this for 20 years, but what if we do it, this completely harebrained idea? And, you know, and I understand why people don't warm to that method. Um but I, but I found it didn't really suit the way I wanted to work and 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 exist really. And one of the one of the benefits of working for yourself by yourself is that you have full control over the ridiculous decisions that you make along the way. And because I don't have children or um, or family, then if it is a complete disaster, which fortunately nothing has been yet. Um, if it is though then I'm not impacting on anyone else's life I'm just I just have to kind of pick up the pieces for myself and so I appreciate that not everybody can um, be as free thinking perhaps particularly financially as as I've been able to be with my career change from the army so as we're talking about the army I always have this or the military I always have to have this question that I ask people that are either still serving or were serving and it's about military spouses and partners and I am just curious to know what you think of the military spouse when you're serving well I think it's I think it's really easy to get the sort of stereotypical idea of um you know, a spouse that by default has to follow their partner around the world and and maintain some, if they've got family, maintain some level of sort of stability for the family, which may, as a result, result in stay-at-home mums or whatever. And so that that's a sort of default idea. But, of course, you know, having worked with um, some of the athletes in the Invictus Games, they are... They just wouldn't be on their recovery path without the rest of their families. And um, so there's a huge supportive, you know, backing from from the families. Um, I suppose my experience is slightly different because, of course, I'm female. And, you know, in a largely male-dominated environment, which, you know, particularly in the Air Corps, and that's not, you know, before anyone shoots me down, says... It, that's not that's not a res- as a result of lack of recruiting or anything. It's just people don't want the job. Women don't want the job that I had, and it, you know, and for good reason. You know, it's a very long commitment. It's um, it's quite sort of more on the technological side, which just doesn't appeal to many women. It's just I happen to want to do it. I thought it looked really cool. So therefore, I was in quite an unusual position of being most of the time the only girl, and and I found that I was in a slight sort of no man's land because I wasn't one of the, the blokes, but I also wasn't one of the wives and girlfriends, and I and actually I found sometimes because I was the only one, actually there was a lot of suspicion from potentially from wives and girlfriends of this this woman that was spending so much time as a result of you know quite an intensive course spending so much time with their other halves and uh, you know so 
without the ability to actually sort of explain yourself and, and meet them and and you know I think if only there were better channels for for the spouses to meet those of us that were just kind of on our Todd because engineering what female company in particular would have been an absolute godsend when I was going through that training um but you know I I suppose it's also very different in that as I was going through not many people not many of my compatriots were married um and so we were just kind of living a bit of a university digs life in the mess to be honest and you know we certainly didn't have many people that also had families that were living on the patch and so I think if I were to go into it now 10 years on it would be a very different experience because your colleagues have families whereas mine didn't have families and yeah it's just a really sort of I suppose I went into it in an interesting time, but I suppose as I went through, it became it became far more obvious how much my colleagues that, that you know, as they were growing young families or um, or those that I met that had come from other units and they had more experience in the army, it just became so much more clear how much they needed. The support and the backing that they got from their spouses um it just wouldn't function without them it wouldn't it just wouldn't work and yeah it's not a job i could do i don't think i could be a military spouse because there's i i suppose there's an element of me that's quite selfish sometimes and you ha it has to be quite selfless to be a spouse and just kind of take it on the chin as you know as we were discussing briefly earlier just um the army and the military has a habit of saying oh by the way next week you're going to be on the other side of the world and you've got to take your house and your family there with you and the amount of rubbish that that families have to put up with is quite significant and i don't i don't think i could do it so all credit to those that do. Thanks. We just sort of, it was an accident that completely fell into it, fell in love. And um, now it is literally, like you said earlier, um, problem solving. I think we all sort of got slightly tricked and fell in love. And yeah. um, there was just isn't a choice now. I think you either sort yeah, of... Yeah, and it's, it, is, it is that kind of, it is that problem solving thing. You know, if the problems, it just happens, are presented by the military rather than by, you know, other aspects of life and they just tend to be thrown up a bit more often you know roughly every two years where postings are you know surprise you know you're off to Brunei or you're off to I don't know Canada or something like that and but but from that point it is a problem solving exercise and I suppose the spouses do a lot of the behind the scenes management of um yes it's all very well um, your other halves changing job and actually but actually all the planning's done for them and the spouses have to kind of do that exercise on behalf of the family to say yeah fine we're going to Canada and a house might be provided but how am I going to get the kids physically ready for this mentally ready for it how am I get myself ready for it how am I going to move all the stuff how you know how am I going to prepare the wider family and and I think there's probably a lot behind the scenes that goes on that, that people wouldn't necessarily realise, but it is back to that problem-solving exercise. How do you do it? And, yeah, daily. We're very tough. People say that we're resilient, but I don't think it's resilience. I just don't think that there is a choice anymore. We're just It's just the way it has to be done sometimes, which is a shame. But that's why it's really important that we have our own, our own thing as well. So that's what I'm trying to do with this podcast and share people like you who are doing amazing things so that other people know that they can do it as well. Um, but also things like the network that we're doing together to connect people to show that, yes, it's a bit sucky and yet everything's all a bit last minute but actually we're all in it together um and we're all just sort of sucking up and trying to do our best out of this crazy life that we've all married into um foolishly mm. got tricked got tricked into it um but it's good fun it is good fun it keeps keeps me on my toes anyway um 
So, gosh, going back to your amazing exhibition, you are rocking it at the moment. After this, what is the plan? Where do you see yourself heading? What is the plan for the next few years? I don't know. And, you know, that is the, that's the honest truth. And I, I get asked that question quite a lot. You know, what do you, what's the goal? What's the five-year plan? What's the 10-year plan? But, crikey, if I'd been asked that question five years ago, I, I'm actually a little bit wary of making too many plans because a bit like with painting pictures, if you get too wrapped up in your original plan, you'll lose any flexibility to do something crazy and unusual because, yeah, but that wasn't part of my plan. And so I, I don't know. I tend to just, I have a rough idea year to year this year's plan was I'm going to run a summer exhibition. I'm going to do a big opener. And I'm going to support task. That was base and, and therefore the, so what's that come right. So I have to paint a collection of pictures. Um, I have to prepare for this show and do all the sort of event management side of it. Uh, I have to learn how to use a few various bits of software um, in order to do the social media side. Um, Yesterday we were doing script writing because I'm doing some filming um, this week. Um, and, it, you know, but, but in terms of what happens after the exhibition, I don't know because I don't know what's going to happen as an opportunity as the result of the exhibition. So you just kind of say, well, what I do have in mind is that I'd like some time off. I'd like, I always kind of give myself a month where I don't paint. Well, it's not that I don't paint. It's just that I'm not painting for anybody and or for anything. I just paint stuff because back to what I was saying before, it's, it's not the product. It's the production that I find relaxing. And so, you know, a sort of no pressure paint because you like it type um, period of time. And then, but beyond that, it could well be that... I do a, another smaller collection for the winter. Tusk is obviously not going to come out of this, um, you know, fundraising challenge quickly, nor is anybody. But we don't know when we're going to be out of COVID yet. We don't know if and when there'll be a vaccine. We don't know if there is a vaccine or if there isn't a vaccine. At what point will people be comfortable about being in a room at an event? So I don't know whether I can host events. I don't know whether this, at the moment, I don't know whether this exhibition is you know, going to be overall successful. And so until you have all that information, you can't really make a plan. Um, but I'm okay with that. I'm, I kind of, you know, I, again, I'll just sort of muddle through it. And if it, with that flexibility, armed with that flexibility, I think you can be ever so creative by saying well everyone's in the same position where we're just having to think outside the box and it's already brought masses of opportunities as a result of going into lockdown so it's definitely going to bring some more we just don't know what they are yet which is a really honest and positive way of thinking about it I think because yes there will be opportunities there has to be there always are you just have to look for them and they, they're not going to land at your feet you know that you have to seek them out and people people often I think one of the things I tend I can get very frustrated and depending on my mood annoyed with is when people say oh you're so lucky you know you get to sit and paint pictures and make a living from painting pictures like if you think that's all I do you know you've, you've missed the point and yes I am I think the luck has come out of the fact that I think I've always been able to draw. I've always found that easy, but even to the point of developing a style, that's not come through luck. That's come through practice and, and work and, you know, working out which pieces are saleable and which pieces I enjoy painting and developing a style and a brand and, and whatever. But the, the effort and the work that goes on in order to make this function as a business, it takes time, it takes energy, it takes effort, and it takes real sort of blood, sweat and tears. You know, to set up this exhibition in COVID times, um, 
so many things have changed. I can't, you know, for example, I can't get a van delivered to Winchester. I have to drive first 20 miles in order to go and get a van to go and get it. I can't stay in London because um, I would usually stay in London for two weeks, but I can't because the hospitality sector isn't allowed to open until the 4th of July. So I'm going to have to commute. Um, I can't get my helpers that I would usually have because we have to social distance and I can't travel in the same vehicle as them. And so it is, it is effort and it is toil and it is, um, I, I do get, I think that's the one thing that people say sometimes where they don't really have an idea of, of how much it takes to build a business like this and, and take those risks. And yes, there might be all sort of smiling social media stories about it, but that is not without all the, the background. Oh my God, what am I doing? This is a total failure stories that I don't get published. So, um, yes. Um, yeah, we, we must keep looking for those opportunities to, and sniffing them out and not waiting for, you know, not sitting at home and saying, oh, isn't this terrible? You know, if only it wasn't like this, if it wasn't like this, I would have done such and such. Well, do it, go and find it, go and yes, it's not going to work this time in this way, but it will work somehow. You just have to go and work it out and, you know, be persistent, be, um, hungry for it and the hungrier you are the more likely it is that something might not be what you originally planned but something will come of it of you being persistent and and really digging deep to get the result that you want it's true it's that overnight success that people have that's taken them three decades to get there that's that's how it seemed by it seemed by everybody absolutely absolutely yeah and it is yeah. hard work uh, especially running a business, as a lot of us know, um, it's tough, but it is worth it in the end because we just love it and it fits so well with our military life. But you're right, it takes a lot of hard work and a lot of hard graft. Um, so we're sort of getting towards the end. I have loved chatting to you. Honestly, it's I've so many more questions, mostly about David Beckham, but I will stop myself. Um, <laughs> before we, he's lovely. He's lovely, and he's got a smile that will melt your heart. That's all I'll say. Oh, I'm just jealous now. Um, <laughs> don't worry. I just remember, um, so he, he was ever so generous with his time out there with the athletes and with the families, because of course you have lots of children out there who are absolute fans. And he was always late for everything because, not because he was lazy or, you know, um, you know, just couldn't be bothered. It's because everywhere he went and people said, if people asked to talk to him, he would stop and he would talk to them and he would engage with them honestly and genuinely and so it just made him late for every appointment but um but when he came to see the team I just I'm not a football fan and I've never been a sort of a fan of celebrity as such and so I was kind of like well yeah it's really lovely that David Beckham this famous person is supporting it but I'm other than that I wasn't that fast and um but I tell you what when he came round and I, I he's curiously good looking and you just sort of find yourself you know with your head cocked to one side just going it, it's just I don't I'm not even sure if you're real like you sort of want to poke him to see if he's actually real uh, but no he was he was uh, in all seriousness he was lovely um generous and just so engaging with everybody that he was a wonderful ambassador for the Invictus Games and you know, I, I can see why Prince Harry chose him. I think in life, be, work hard and be a nice person is actually what will get you everywhere. Um, and it's nice to hear that about a celebrity. Mm. And um, yeah, a little bit jealous, but I will, I'll let you have that one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, I've loved chatting to you. Your work is epic. Everybody needs to say it. it's such a shame that this isn't video and this is in fact audio. So if I want to go and look at your art or find out about your exhibition or find out more about you, where should I go? Well, everything is on the website. So it's just www.hannashergold.com. And from there, you'll find everything about the 2020 Tusk collection, about Tusk the charity. Um, the catalogue is all on there, which has got a lot about my background, um, my sort of career path, my support for Tusk. And it's got all the information about the paintings that are for sale. 
so what I've done is put out a collection of, of 24 paintings. 20% of that collection is going to Tusk. I was absolutely thrilled that Deborah Meaden has endorsed it. And we did a wonderful bit of filming with her down at North Cabri Court in Somerset. Um, North Cabri Court were brilliant. They gave us the venue for free and, and even took all the paintings down from within the ballroom so that we could um, put all my pictures up. And um, so I felt very privileged that they allowed us to do that. And, and it was wonderful chatting to Deborah and just getting her support for really what I'm trying to do. She's a she's, um, patron of Tusk. And, but she's a very busy lady. And so for her to take time out to, to come and, and, you know, speak to me about the artwork and really get behind this as a project, it really will do wonders for raising the awareness about, about the project, about the auction, and hopefully raise some significant money um, for Tusk. And do go and look at them because they are beautiful, genuinely, and um, interesting. And you learn about this amazing charity as well. So what's not to love? Hannah, I've loved talking to you today. It's been brilliant to try and work out how on earth a pilot can paint. I'm going to go and tell my husband um, that he can do it. So thank you for that. Is there anything you'd like to add before we finish? No, it's been absolutely wonderful to chat. And um, yeah, I hope, I think sometimes... Sometimes maybe it can come across a bit sort of preachy and I hope it doesn't. I just I just want to kind of enthuse people to to go and try it, to go and fight for things that you want to do and the things that you want to achieve and, and you can do it. You just have to really be hungry for it and, you know, go and get it. Go and make sure that you get it because you, you absolutely can. Another thank you to the lovely Hannah. What an epic episode. I think we all learnt an awful lot. And I think it's really encouraging us to charge on with those challenges and to get stuff done. So thank you, Hannah. And of course, a thank you to the Royal British Legion for sponsoring this episode and the entire series. So that's it for today. I will be, of course, back next week with another inspiring episode. So I shall see you then.